हेलो फ्रेंड्स दिस इज़ दर्शन महाराजा वेलकमिंग यू बैक टू आवर कैनेडियन जर्नी सो फार वी हैव बीन ऑन दिस जर्नी टुगेदर इन दी लॉन्ग फॉर्म फॉर्मेट थर्टीन टाइम्स बिफोर दिस इज़ दी फोर्टीन लेग ऑफ आवर कॉमन जर्नी इन द लॉन्ग फॉर्मेट इंसिडेंटली वी हैव ऑल्सो हैड शॉर्ट फॉर्म वर्जन एलिवेटर चैट्स फॉर अ टोटल ऑफ थर्टीन टाइम्स सो द नेक्स्ट शॉर्ट एपिसोड विल ऑल्सो बी द फोर्टीन वन by a curious coincidence today is the 14th of july with all these 14th lined up it is worth mentioning that india is launching its third spacecraft to the moon today on the 14th of july 2023 which begs the question what achievement of similar importance are we striving for in canada it saddens me to note that we aren't doing anything remotely as ambitious all the activities on the development front that rule the roost and fascinate us and capture our imagination are either some kind of a ponzi scheme or the latest fad in social engineering in this episode i want to talk about uh, one component of the multi component ponzi scheme that is the canadian economy namely the policy on international student visa there has been much reporting on this in the mainstream media and elsewhere in particular i must mention the piece in the narwhal that sets the gold standard of reporting on this issue however all these media outlets have a limit that they cannot cross and for good reasons as responsible media they can only stay within the bounds of information that they can back up with corroboration there is much happening outside of those bounds that has a direct and significant impact on the happenings in the arena of international student policy i'm going to stick my neck out and put that uh, part out in the public domain let me emphasize this while these practices are freely spoken about in the south asian community especially the indo canadian segment of that community as far as the mainstream society is concerned these practices are kept out of view these are facts that cannot be corroborated but in the interest of brevity and simple narration i will not be using qualifiers such as allegedly etc i'll be making statements that sound like they are categorical but please don't treat them as categorical statements the reason why they cannot be corroborated is at least partly because we do not have a culture in canada to investigate thoroughly the things that are benefiting certain powerful constituencies but that is a separate subject in its own right so let's get back to the topic at hand In early 2019 there were reports that Niagara College had uh, decided to test their students from India for knowledge of English language because they had found that a large number of students coming from India had such a poor grasp of English that they were unable to follow the instructors in class for anyone with a basic idea of how international students are granted admission to Canadian colleges this would come as a surprise because the prospective student has to pass an exam called IELTS pronounced IELTS with at least a minimum score so how had these students passed their IELTS exams uh, 
I made some inquiries and discovered that there were people in India running businesses of impersonating any prospective student at the IELTS exam. My understanding was that a minimum score of 8 points was required and they were charging 50,000 rupees per point. That was at the time around Canadian dollars 1000. So for all the 8 points put together the charge was 400,000 rupees or around 8000 Canadian dollars. At the next level they need proof of funds. There is a thriving market in India for producing fake proof making air quotes here of course for a charge next comes the actual payment to the college here is where the entire crux of the problem as it affects canada lies a bit of background is necessary after independence in 1947 india had opted to follow socialist policies these lasted until 1991 when the country was about to go broke its foreign exchange reserves were enough to cover only 15 days worth of imports. There was no option but to change track in a major way. This change is known in India as liberalization. As chance would have it, the tech boom of the 1990s and the Y2K scare proved to be a big boon to India and the country hasn't looked back since as far as the economic progress goes. The net result of these three decades of growth is that economic opportunities are available to bright young people at a scale that could not even be imagined when I was starting out my career. Therefore, people who can see a bright future for themselves in, in uh, India have absolutely no reason to immigrate to another country. Typically, these young people are from well-off families or at least solidly middle class families who prioritize education and therefore you know they have reached a point where there is a good future for them in India. Let me clarify up front that what I am going to say next is not meant in a judgmental way. I am just making a factual statement in relation to a very large number of international students from India. Unfortunately, they are from the lower rungs of the economic ladder in Canada, many of them. And because their academic achievements until high school were insufficient to help them compete in the Indian structure, coming to Canada for a better life, at least that's what they are told, is an attractive option for them. To be clear, some high achieving students do come here from India. But typically, you will find them in prestigious universities such as U of T or Waterloo, etc. Consider that the annual tuition at these institutions is north of $60,000. So for a four-year course in, say, engineering, their families are forking out a quarter million dollars Canadian just for the tuition. Then they have to pay rent and have other expenses, food, etc. That's a large sum and from the Indian perspective, an even larger one, about 15 million rupees plus. So naturally, these kids are from very well-off families, the ones in the big universities. After graduation, they start their careers at a compensation package of around 100,000. This is a world apart from the Indian students at community colleges and this latter group is the subject of today's discussion. I have spoken to some of them and one can only pity them. Their families are not well off and they had to corral 
every ounce of their resources just to pay the first year's tuition for their child. As a result, the student's primary goal upon landing in Canada is to get a job, often more than one job. They seek these jobs at businesses owned by people of their own ethnicity. Why? The reason ties in with something that hasn't been commented on publicly by anyone. If you look at the Indian students at community colleges, you will not find many from the major cities in India. By contrast, at the universities, almost everyone will be from one of the major cities. The likely reason, in my opinion, is that in the rural areas of India, there aren't many opportunities compared to the cities, thus providing a dimmer prospect to young people. What this means in practical terms is that the students at community colleges are mostly proficient in their mother tongue only and at the most they may know Hindi in addition. This limits their ability to look for and secure jobs outside of their ethnic circle. Also, within that insular circle, they feel more confident of working in violation of an assortment of rules such as minimum wage and this suits the employer more than perfectly or for more hours than they are allowed to work officially. Recently, this rule was changed to allow them to work 40 hours per week during the semester for which they are enrolled. And this leads to the natural question as to how they can study while working full-time. But apart from that, one practical impact of this rule change has been that while a particular job may have been filled by two Indian students on a part-time basis, now it is filled by one student on a full-time basis. This drives the other student to agree to work for less than minimum wage, which means off the record, at another job. The illegal nature of uh, these jobs creates another problem. Unscrupulous employers leverage it to scare the young kids that they can be deported if found out. Let's be frank here. These kids are in their late teens who haven't had much interaction, if any, with the outside world. And by outside world, I mean even within India. Once I met a student from India who had grown up in a village where there is no school. It took me a while to process this information. A village without a school is unthinkable even for me. And I grew up there decades ago. I asked her what she did, where she did her schooling. It turned out to be another village nearby that had a school. But it was only up to grade 7. Then she had to go to the main city in her district to finish high school. And immediately thereafter, she got admission to a nursing course in a community college in the GTA. This should give you a fair idea of how unequip unequipped these kids are to handle the demands on them in Canada. On top of that, add the financial pressure. For all intents and purposes, their stay in Canada is meant to be self-financed. Unlike the international students at the major universities, these kids aren't getting any, and I mean any, financial support from their families. On the contrary, many of them have to work multiple jobs so they, they can have enough money to send to their families in India. Often this is needed to pay off the loan that the family took to send the child to Canada. In effect, we are sucking the wealth of other countries, specifically India, to fill the coffers of the post-secondary educational institutions in Canada. 
Some of these institutions are of dubious value, but that doesn't matter to the student whose primary aim is to acquire Canadian citizenship. Why do Indian families go into debt to send their child to Canada? There is one aspect of this question that nobody has mentioned, partly because few people know about it. It is this. Drug addiction is becoming rampant in the Punjab and more and more young people are falling prey to it every day. As a result, the parents are in a state of panic. Their topmost priority is to ship their child out to any country before the child gets hooked on chitta, meaning the white stuff. They would rather spend the rest of their lives paying off that debt or sell off the small piece of land that they own than see their child's life ruined. So if you hear about international students from India living in a basement crammed with 10 or 15 other Indian students and working illegally or at minimum wage, remember that these young people could be running away from a ruinous situation. Even in the case of students who are not trying to run away from Chitta, the future prospects for them in India are gloomy at best. They are just striving for a better future. But that does not excuse the Canadian laxity. The number of students being admitted on a yearly basis is unhealthy. Too many strip mall colleges and visa mills are taking undue advantage of the laxity in government by luring these children into a course that will not give them a better future in Canada. And because I don't shy away from uncomfortable realities, let me add here that some of these futureless children will be drawn into criminal activities like the drugs trade and human trafficking. In fact, these are emerging as rapidly growing concerns in my city of Brampton and in the GTA more generally. So that's all I had to say about this. Hopefully we'll see some changes in, in policy, in implementation, in administration. I hope you agree. In fact, I am sure that you will agree. Please do let me know your views on this episode in the comments. I will see you next week in another episode. Until then, goodbye and take care.